2022 AUDL season is here. Week one starts on Friday. This is Swing Pass. I'm Adam Ruffner. I'm joined as always by Daniel Cohen. We've got an episode about big, bold predictions heading into the new year. Daniel, I cannot be more excited just three days out from the 2022 season. It's so wild that it's finally here. I mean, we just, you know, we go through this this podcast all off season just talking about like, you know, starting with recapping the previous season, then getting into that weird intermediate territory where you're like not quite looking forward to the next season, but not quite reflecting on the previous season. And just the the fact we've come all this way and it's finally the end of April and we have games this weekend is it's wild. I'm excited. Not just games, but really good games for really good games. Weekend. Yeah. And and oh, we'll get more into so that on Thursday's episode as we do a formal preview for the week's weekend slate. Um, but again, for this episode, we're going to kind of be going a little bit higher level and talking about uh, our year end award ballot predictions, as well as each of us are going to give three kind of big, bold uh, assumptions, uh, prognostications for the upcoming year. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to trying to nudge ourselves out of just, you know, I, I think the low stakes, low fruit area of statistical uh, pot shotting, you know, just seeing kind of coming up with like fantasy game numbers as far as who might do what. I think <laughs> some of the more interesting stuff is about, you know, who will win, who will make it to the postseason. I think especially this year, I'm I'm completely ready to be proven wrong. Uh, I think listening to everyone going in, there's kind of an expectation of things going to chalk. And whenever that happens, it or whenever we go into seasons where it feels like we know things, those are the seasons where everything kind of gets flipped on its head. Um, well, and I think this happened last year, I, most notably with Dallas. Remember yeah. everyone with Dallas at, at like number one last year coming into the season? Was everyone, I did. I that. did. If I'm everyone. <laughs> yeah, I did yeah. too. I thought they were going to win the championship. They were my pick. It was very yeah, they might have been mine too. Uh, yeah. It, so yeah, I, I kind of expect something similar. I'm just having that gut feeling of there's kind of a, a handful yeah. of upsets this this weekend, I'm not going to be too surprised. Um, right. And I think that's kind of the theme of this season is expect the unexpected with three new expansion teams and the re-inclusion of the three Canadian teams and everyone kind of going back to traditional alignments and uh, increase in the number of playoff seeds. It just feels like there's, there's a little bit more meat on the hook, right? There's just a little... Margins are tightening, parity is becoming a little bit more prevalent. Like everything's setting up, I think, for a really good 2022 AUDL regular season. But yeah, I mean the fact that the fact that six teams this season did not participate in like the standard, you know, US-based AUDL season, that's, you know, a quarter of the league that's entering the league with giant question marks next to each of their team names. So I, I'm very excited. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a lot of just, there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air because of those new teams. And uh, like you said, the the hype we've been giving to the good teams, I think there's a lot of pressure coming from behind them as well. 
Well, and there's just been so much player movement, especially at like a literal all-star level, you know, like the yeah. amount of players <laughs> right. that participated in the 2019 all-star game who are now on new teams in 2022 for the first time, many of them transitioning from long established uh, paths with their former teams, uh, thinking of like a Jay Frude or um, uh, my mind is not working well today. So we'll move on. There's a bunch. There's <laughs> Khalif, Sean McDougal. Khalif, thank you. Aaron Weaver back with LA. McDougal was the other one I had. Th- I Antoine Davis. But, you know, Khalif <laughs> yeah. and Antoine are a little like they, they've been on a couple different teams, but yes, it's just sure, been sure. a lot of movement and, it feels like we both know more things heading into this year, given that we we're not being preceded by a canceled season or anything as 2021 was, you know, we, we have more continuity of mm-hmm. knowing what these teams look like. And yet at the same time, I feel like I know less going into this season than I did last year. I don't know if that's, that's <laughs> right. just because of my mindset of I'm more willing to accept that I don't know what's going to go on. And last year it was just such a thrill to even have games again, that there wasn't a sense of (laughs) having to know what to expect. Whereas this year, I feel like putting on kind of my pundit lens for a second, it it's, it's difficult to make assertions this year because there is all this data, but at the same time, there's so much shifting of the lineups and circumstances from which we're deriving it. Right. Like you're saying a third of the yeah. league is basically new this year. <laughs> That's yeah. nuts. It's it's a heavy chunk. Kyle Henke is another all star that changed teams this offseason. Um a lot of a lot of movements. I it's so I, I don't know. Has there been this much excitement leading up to the season before? There probably has, but in my mind, like the mo- the current season is always the most exciting, which I think is a good trajectory to be on. So speaking of excitement, let's talk about the trophy winners we kind of expect to get up on a theoretical podium at some point and get a host of uh, end of season accolades. We're talking about the MVP, the defensive player of the year, most improved rookie of the year and coach of the year for the 2022 season. Uh, We were going to go into all AUDL and all defensive ballots, but given how long it took us to just go through uh, divisions last week we wanted to spare you a little bit on probably what would be a four-hour podcast if we were just to go through naming <laughs> teams of what we thought would be an all AUDL ballot so we're just going to go through individual yep. awards um, we're each going to kind of give our main choice and then two finalists we expect to be in contention for each award um, Daniel why don't you kick us off sure so we'll start with the big one let's start with MVP unless you want to save that for last now let's start with it. Uh, start off strong. So my MVP pick, uh, it's a familiar name, a guy that has won the award the past two seasons. I think we are going to see a third straight MVP from Ben Yacht. Never been done before. There's been two prior two-time winners. Goose Helton did it in 2012-2013. Bo Kittredge did it the following two years in 2014-2015. I think Ben Yacht is going to be the first three-time MVP winner. And then behind him, I I kind of am expecting a really big season from Eric Taylor of Carolina. I think there was a lot of potential last year with him starting the season on offense, and then the injury kind of messed things up and messed with their rotations. Not in a bad way necessarily, but I think especially with the loss of Alan Laviolette to injury, I think Eric Taylor is going to be needed a little bit more on the offensive side this year, which should 
boost his numbers. And then I, I've been buying into the Jack Williams hype. He was MVP finalist last year. There's been a lot of talk this offseason about him getting downfield a little bit more. They've added pieces that I think have a, will allow him to do that this season. I think we saw some of that in the showcase game in Columbia. I, I'm excited for Jack to expand his skill set within the New York offense. So he's my my third or second runner-up, I guess is how you say that. I like how you make Jack Williams sound like a, an indie band that you found in a, an album sale or something. Yeah, you ever heard of this this <laughs> up-and-coming player, Jack Williams? I'm in. He's, he's, he's due for a breakout this I'm year. I'm really bought into yeah. him. I like what I'm seeing. He's been he's been trending upward of lately. <laughs> uh, isn't, it, isn't it weird, though? It feels like he's sort of yet to break out, quote-unquote, in the Empire offense. And by that, I mean, like, it still feels like he hasn't reached his full potential in that system. I guess mostly looking at the statistical lens where his numbers really are not nearly as high as Ben Yad or Ryan Osgar, for example. But obviously his skill set as a player, you know, he has the potential to be right up there. It's just exactly how he's used. So I think that's always going to be the problem with Jack Williams in the MVP debate. He's he sort of transcends the numbers a bit. You know, he's one of those players who is better than anything you can point at on a statistical map, you know? And but, like, he that. has he has put up numbers. Like, his sure. last season with the Flyers, he had 48 assists, 34 goals, and six blocks in the regular season. He's made so. three all-AUDL teams. I'm just saying that in terms of who he is as a talent, you putting him in the top three is correct. But I don't know if his numbers are ever going to strictly reflect that. It's You can right. make a constellation right. of numbers that are... Well, if you, you know, among players with 600 plus completion, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we've talked about goals. Like, exactly. He, he, yes. He's such a hybrid that you have to kind of, you know, segregate certain kinds of statistical categories and come up with those funny little uh, subjective kind of slash lines where it's like any player with this plus level of assists and this plus level of goals. And I don't know. Right. I digress. Right. Yeah. Anyway, who are your three? So my three for the MVP, I'm going with another Empire teammate uh, for my first pick. I think it's the season of Ryan Osgar. I think that despite leading the league in scores and total yardage last year, I think he's still got another level in him. And I just him being in that true facilitator role for New York is both a a thrower and a receiver, kind of their ultimate striker weapon. I just see him reaping all the benefits of the talent that they'll be adding. He's still going to be the kind of main trigger puller for a lot of their downfield looks as a thrower. And I just think he's going to find even more ability to kind of expose his matchups as a receiver, something that he was obviously really adept at last year, but I think he was still kind of figuring out how to truly play alongside a uh, talent like yacht and i just i don't know i see osgar maybe hitting like an eight thousand total yards this year i don't think Whoa, it's out of question eight thousand i mean okay. it just he just everything comes so easily to him that i i still don't see him slowing down and if he's going Do to you... improve at all it's going to be like Do... an all-time statistical season do you worry at all from a statistical standpoint if Jack Williams is getting downfield more this season as he's been hyped up to uh, be doing, 
Will that take away some of Ryan Osgar's touches? Will it take away some of his goals, assists? You know, if more of that load is going to Jack Williams, or do you feel like Ryan Osgar is like the most secure in his role in the Empire offense? Because I feel like Ben Yacht is the most secure in his role. And I feel like Osgar and Jack Williams are, you know, more not not interchangeable because they do have very different play styles. But I don't know, maybe more complementary or more. Uh, sort of taking up the same space on the field. I think given Osgar's specific throwing capabilities, those those over-the-top blades, that, that ability he has to sort of switch the dimensions of the field very quickly and suddenly will become probably the most valuable part of the Empire's like final form offense, right? And you could kind mm-hmm. of see that even against DC in week one uh, in 2021 when it was a close game sort of in the stretch. They just started working it to Osgar and letting him sort of bob and weave around a defense. And then, oh, look, a drop shot blade over the top to like a wide open Lithia or something. I still think that that will be like an A1 option for them at all times. And especially with the talent that they're going to be continuing to bring in on this Empire team, I just see him becoming more powerful as they sort of add options like he's he's sort of the the nucleus i see now of that offense as good as williams and yacht are respectively like to me osgar just he's such a a a talisman or like a, a multiplier of the abilities around him not to again not to say that williams and Yacht aren't I just there's there's something about Osgar's throwing ability there's something about the way he can so easily hit everything in rhythm and kind of have a a different shape on discs than almost anyone else that he's just he's the best midfield striker in the game right now uh, with all due respect to the reigning MVP and Jack Williams who is an MVP level player they they bring different things to the table but as far as true offensive sort of power there isn't really a piece i think higher than ryan osgard this year yeah yeah that's fair it's it's interesting comparing him and williams on the field because you know we i I feel like in my mind i'm like yeah if jack gets downfield a bit more like his numbers will go up but really osgard is just a much more aggressive thrower a more aggressive receiver i think he is just a bigger risk taker so usually you see those guys taking on more of the scoring total and I think Jack Williams is such a smart player that he doesn't force as many throws because he doesn't really have to Um, you know both guys capable of playing a a lot of small ball but Jack Williams specifically I think he can really thrive in those spots where he doesn't need to be so aggressive Um, so definitely uh, I mean two guys that are extremely fun to watch especially when they play together so I, you can't really pick wrong when you're talking about an MVP on New York. Spin a wheel and throw a dart at a board with Oscar Williams and Yacht on it. And I don't think that <laughs> any one of them would, yeah. you know, be a shrugging sort of MVP candidate. Um, right. I also have, though, this year, uh, I think Pavel Giannis and Rafi Hayes from the expansion Portland team will be runners up or finalists for the award. Um, I could see both of them having really, really big seasons, but we can kind of get into more of that maybe in a bit or uh, later on in a different episode, but we should move on to defense player of the year. Uh, I'll just kind of kick off my list first. Uh, I think the 
probably number one option I have for DP OTY this year is KPS um, from Madison. Uh, I really expect the veteran additions and sort of a reformation of their traditional rotations will really benefit. He's still in the prime of his career. I feel like the added motivation of championship weekend being held in Madison in August will just sort of ignite mm-hmm. the the pride of this Radicals defense uh, and him being their leader. I just, I think it's going to be a big year for him. Um, but right there next to him, I've got to put Jeff Babbitt and the reigning defensive player of the year, AJ Merriman up there. Um, I just think both of them, all three of the candidates, it's kind of which defense performs the best because I think they all bring two aspects of playmaking and just on-field leadership that you're not really going to find too many other places. Yeah, I, I like the KPS pick. I think, like you mentioned, the motivation of championship weekend, I feel like if that's going to push any single player in the league like to that next level of play and to motivation, I feel like it's KPS. Um, I, I think in general, Madison could surprise a lot of teams this year in the Central just with that extra motivation of, of hosting championship weekend. So I like the pick. I I think we had a one burning question about this a while back, and I believe I took Brett Holzmeyer as my leading defensive player of the year candidate. And it's it's not so much about his like, well, I don't know. Like there there are other players on this on the potential list of defensive player of the year that have more of an offensive game and maybe more of a well-rounded skill set. But I think Brett Holzmeyer's role in the Atlanta defense is one of the pivotal roles in that system. Like his ability to blitz from the deep space and also just be that 6'5", 6'6", body that's back there deterring any deep shots from opposing teams I think that is just invaluable to their defense. I think it is what made their defense so dominant for stretches last season. Obviously, they they had some struggles later in the season, but I do think the addition of Khalif El-Salam to that defense is just going to elevate the play of everyone around him. Uh, They lost Jakeem Polk, unfortunately, this offseason, but uh, did add some pieces as well. So to me, Brett Holzmeier, he's another good shot to lead the league in takeaways uh, for I, that would be the second straight season, right? I think he tied for the league lead tied for last year. Lead. Yeah, so I mean, twenty plus blocks seems easy for him at this point. Maybe we also see more of an offensive game from him this year. Uh, I feel like he showed some potential at, at just being a, a decent distributor with the disc. And you know, it's also like, how do we uh, categorize these defensive player of the year awards? How much offensive game do we take into account? Those are other conversations to be had, but I like Halsmeyer as my number one. I, I think KPS will be right up there, and I would probably take AJ over Babbitt, and I think that's that's more of a... I, I think AJ's season last year was, you know, one of the most impressive defensive seasons we've seen in a while, and his ability to work with the disc after turnovers was, you know a primary point for that D line and why they were so successful converting breaks. So I I'll give the nod to AJ for that third spot. I totally concur with you that I think Halsmeyer is in for another big year. I just don't know if it's going to be on the defensive player of the year strata. I, 
I've told you off air, going back and watching film of Halsmeyer last year, it it felt like it was almost a kind of three-way split between him, Merriman, and Babbitt as far as the people were. It, depending on how you want to argue each and their importance in their respective systems, they each could have came away with that award, I think. Um, sure. I just don't know if I'm ready to say that Halsmeyer can like play at that level all the time. I think he's a fantastic prospect, but just given his age and everything, I'd love to see just one more season. I mean, talking about KPS and Babbitt, they've been doing this. You know, they get 20 plus blocks a year every year. KPS is on four straight years. Babbitt's on five. Uh, I would just like to see Halsmeyer get to that level one more time before I think I would anoint him the best defender in the league because it feels like the block numbers can sometimes be more of a team statistic than an individual component. Right. And it's not to take anything away from Halsmeyer's 2021 season. I just, I'd like to see it repeated a couple of times, I guess. Same thing holds for Merriman too. I I think that while he won the award last year, I think that he definitely needs to also show that the blocks number is, is consistent because I do think that there is a large variability to that number. And you can get kind of a 15 to 20 block season sort of out of nowhere if you're in the right places at the right times. Um, but sure, I sure. I, I think watching Holzmeier last year, it felt like oh, those the blocks good. were, yeah, it felt like the blocks were least random with him, like because oh, he was absolutely. earning them at all three levels of the field and just consistently in that zone. So assuming they, they stick with their zone with him as a deep defender or even a wing defender, he uh, he's in another good position to get a lot of blocks but let's move on to rookie of the year and this award i don't really know how how anyone can pick who we think is going to be rookie of the year and then there's there's also the conversation of like uh and i talked to dan hilton about this on the empire podcast what what constitutes a, a true rookie that would be a candidate for this award you know, there are guys that have previous ultimate experience that are coming into their first AUDL season at like, you know, age 27 after playing 10 plus years of ultimate. Uh, so I don't really know if Leandro Marks or Rafi Hayes or Jack Hatchett, those Portland guys that are technically AUDL rookies, if they would be considered for this award. But let's say, I don't know, should we say they are? I guess we should just pick one so- right now. So let's pull let's pull back the the sausage shop curtain here for a second and talk brass tacks. Uh, we sort of <laughs> discussed this last year around the rookie of the year award with with the first year of it being nominated that there's a recognition that a player like Ben Sadok is a rookie in the truest sense, but to give mm-hmm. that award to somebody like him isn't quite correct, and so. Similar to last year, if there's sort of a player that's having a similar season but is more true to form a rookie, as Anders Jungst was, it's probably more correct to pick that younger player than to give it to an established veteran who is simply ascending to the professional level for the first time. Okay. That's that's fair. Right. Because Ben Sadok, he my... did make the second team all AUDL, right? Right. And because you, he had that... did not make one of those teams. Correct. And I think yeah. that's kind of the soft reasoning around why that happened. Yeah. It was sort of a, a recognition of the fantastic season that Durs had while also 
giving the nod that Ben Sadok was, you know, a top four yardage getter and overall offensive producer in the league in his first year right. of play. Um, right. Okay. No, I like that. Um, all right. Well, so then if we're, if we're just focusing on the young guys, I, I think, you know, without knowing much about him other than the, the hype surrounding him and surrounding his college and club experience, I think I'm going to take Alex Atkins of Colorado as my top rookie of the year candidate. Are this is a guy that you're <laughs> to, do you have Atkins at the top two? I mean, it's you probably you that's hyped him to me more than anyone else. But I, you know, I, I think as far as like the, the combo of, of athleticism and I think two way potential, both on offense and defense. And the fact he is, going to be learning from a guy who just feels like he can evolve into Jay Frude in the future. I I think the stage is set really well for Alex Atkins, and I think Colorado is going to be extremely competitive in the West. I think they'll be in position to definitely push for one of those three playoff spots, if not uh, pull off some upsets this year. So they're going to make some noise as a team, and I think he's going to be a big reason why. But that being said, I really haven't watched him play all that much. Uh, From the little I have watched, I I have been impressed, and I'm really just excited to see him and all the rookies this year uh, continue to develop. And I think the fact that rookies sort of forced us into creating a Rookie of the Year award last year sort of tells you the trajectory that this league has taken. There has been an incredible youth movement over the past few seasons, so I just look forward to him developing and and even the rookies from last year and a couple years ago continuing to take form um so alex atkins as my top i mean do you want to weigh in on him before i get to my others oh i was just gonna say i think out of all of the teams we were assembling last year for the postseason awards the rookie teams were some of the hardest just because you 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 can go 20 deep of guys deserving to be on 14 roster spots for those and it I wouldn't be surprised at all if that happens again this year, especially with the talent in Colorado, Portland, and Salt Lake joining. Uh, it just feels like it's totally up in the air, and whoever I'm going to say, whether I agree with you or not, is is probably just going to be entered into a lottery of you know, a handful of guys who could win this award. Um, sure. Had you asked sure. me before last season, would Anders Jungst win the Rookie of the Year in the 2021 <laughs> season, I would say, who is that? Uh, yeah. because um, I had to learn no about idea. him in the first game against Atlanta when he revealed himself to be this incredible <laughs> right. red zone option and sort of facilitator as the Flyers offense struggled against Atlanta zone in the first half. Uh, and I kind of expect something similar to happen this year where it's going to be somebody who we haven't quite paid the right kind of attention to heading into this year who will all of a sudden be you know, looking like a veteran out there with the disc. Um, yeah, it's just it, that's how the talent level is evolving right now. It, it's it's pretty surreal to watch happen, you know, as as somebody who's been following this league for over half of a decade, um, closer to eight years now. Uh, this hasn't been the way all the time, you know, like to see <laughs> rookies stepping in and taking over a, a 30, 40, 50 completion workload and not sweating at all. Right that hasn't been how things have been going and to just see it ever since basically 2018, 2019 where dudes are just stepping in and performing at an all-star level. It's becoming the norm. Uh, And I think 
Aikens is my pick for rookie of the year heading in, similar to what you're describing. It's just the hype and the sort of collegiate noise around him is enough Mm -hmm. for me to at least identify him. But, you know, I've heard great things about Kai DiLorenzo for Madison, Kyle Rutledge for uh, Chicago, uh, a host of you 20 guys all around the league on Salt Lake, uh, Will Selfridge on Philadelphia at Brown. Like, there's just... Mm -hmm so much young talent just coming in right now that I think is really going to have a stage to perform in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Jake Radak with Austin is another name I had on my list. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Declan Miller playing with Seattle. I feel like he's, I've been hearing Declan Miller hype for the past few years. And I think he like had to be a practice player first because he wasn't 18. Uh, So, you know, playing time was, limited or or not available but you know just plenty of names to watch all around the league realistically though do we think the rookie of the year is going to come from carolina some guy we've never heard of probably there's like a (laughs) pretty good shot of that 50 50 i would say (laughs) yeah i mean i would i would place my bets on the west that's probably where i would draw the talent pool from simply because of not only are there three expansion teams those expansion teams have tons of young talent they're all three metropolis is known for growing good local talent um i don't know why i make it sound like a farmer's market uh (laughs) but we should continue to move on we've got most improved player next which is honestly i think one of the more interesting awards in this kind of ballot um Mm -hmm. i went into the show telling you one thing but as we've been talking i've actually been slowly scooting up another name uh i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with a a player from LA. I, I'm buying into the Aviators hype. Have a few people tweeting at me about it, but I agree. I thought he looked great last year before an injury derailed some of it. Uh, Marcel Osborne, I think, is Ooh, I like ready it. for like a 40 or 50 goal year for LA. You know, with McDougal and Landisman and no Brown due to injury, uh, I just think there's a massive void for scoring opportunity on the Aviators O line, and I think. Osborne, who's shown a lot of playmaking in his uh, couple of years in the AUDL, first with the Growlers a few years ago as a defensive option, I thought he was really interesting. I think for the 2019 Growlers, um, he played some great lockdown matchup defense. And then last year in 2021 with the Aviators in his first season with LA, he had a great game against Austin as a receiver. He he showed some stuff down in TEP the other weekend that I thought was interesting, you know, making a couple of big splashy layout goals. I don't know. I, I, I like Osborne a lot this year. I, I don't know if his improvement, you know, takes the Aviators to a playoff contention level, but I'm really interested to see LA play after uh, their showcases down at Medellin. <laughs> yeah. Me too. I mean, look, there's there's holes to fill in that offense, right? Sean McDougal, Danny Landisman accounted for however many goals it was, like 60 to 70. Uh, and while, you know, some of us think Sam Cook is just going to take that entire load, it, it's not a bad <laughs> call to to think that Marcel Osborne is going to get his fair share. So I agree. I, I liked what I saw from him a lot. And that LA offense, we didn't talk much about in the Rookie of the Year conversation, but uh, you know, guys like Reese Gretsch and Everest Shapiro. I think there's been plenty of hype surrounding a lot of those young offensive players as well. And I just wanted to kind of round out my ballot. Uh, I also had Carl Enzone slash Eckwurzel and James Pollard as other potential most improved candidates. Uh, Eckwurzel obviously looking 
like the real McCoy in the last half of the 2021 season when he kind of caught fire uh, as Austin Taylor's number one option downfield. But I'd just love to see that for a full season. I think Eckwurzel has been kind of talked about internally for a little bit as being a workout warrior and somebody who's really committed to the team dynamic. And I think a full season of the way he sort of finished 2021 would really cement him as a a true kind of wide receiver one option for a potential championship team, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I, I like that you mentioned James Pollard. I think any opportunity I have to talk about James Pollard, I'm going to take he I'm James sort of Pollard between him. James I'm Pollard sort of between thrower. James. Like, yeah, I'm sort of between James Pollard and Keenan Lawrence as who I think will win this award right now. I want to speak it into existence, so I'm going to take James Pollard. Uh, like I said, any opportunity I have to, to talk about James Pollard and hopefully get him more O-line playing time with the Phoenix, I'm, I'm going to take. But look, I mean, you saw it towards the end of last year. They were experimenting with him on offense. He is a phenomenal thrower. Like He always was the puller for the Phoenix. And you, you take a guy like that that has this huge arm, and you're like, why aren't they doing that more just on offensive possessions or on defensive possessions, whatever it may be. And he was, he was unloading a lot of hucks late last season that looked really good. And I think he gives them such a versatile piece that, you know, obviously not a handler, but starting downfield as a cutter. If, if you, if your defenders backing James Pollard, he'll take that under and then he'll unleash a deep shot. If they're playing him under, he's going to beat you deep. Like he has such, uh, matchup nightmare potential about him, and I feel like Philly has yet to tap into that, and maybe he is just yet to really feel that uh, himself as a player and, and like really grow into that role. But I think this year is a good shot to do it. They have a new coaching staff. I think they're going to have to try some new things with this loaded, uh, specifically the top of the East Division. You know, in order to compete with New York and DC. I think they're going to have to unleash James Pollard, so I'm I'm hoping they do it, and I think they will have a lot of success if they do. Keenan Lawrence is the other guy I wanted to mention. He has just been on a phenomenal trajectory over his first two seasons in the league. First year as a rookie in 2019, he really grew into like a full-time role, basically slotting in on offense and defense, earning blocks, getting downfield, scoring goals. He had that huge... Uh, you know, like five plus yard layout highlight on the Antoine Davis hammer. Uh, and that was part of like a, a big game where he scored at least, I don't know, six to eight times, I think against Seattle. He has basically been making a habit of these big games. And we saw most recently in the preseason game against Portland, put up whatever it was, 10 plus scores. Uh, really feels like he is going to be the primary guy in the Oakland offense. And I think he should be, you know, losing guys like Jordan Kerr, no Marcelo Sanchez this year. They, they really are left with like an MVP caliber Keenan Lawrence. And I think his, his current trajectory would, you know, I think you predicted him to have a, a 40, 40 season last episode. I think that's very realistic for him. And I think I almost, expect him to put up those numbers being one of their only, you know, consistent elite options this season. Yeah. I think on statistical fronts, you're right with both. I I guess I just wonder like 
in an improvement sense, will their higher statistical numbers lead to an improvement for their respective teams? And I don't know, right? Yeah, like, I yeah. I mean, that's that's tough, right? Will it like, result think, in wins? I guess. I think as my as question. like the audience member, I want to see Pollard in the throwing role, but I do think because of his ability to just pin offenses with his pulls and then shut down deep space, his still like most primary role is as a defender. And I wonder, yeah. I wonder if I like, just want to, I want a bit more two way play yeah. from him. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm fully aboard and I was trying to cut you off earlier <laughs> by saying Pollard as the thrower. Cause I, I agree with you. Uh, yeah. We erupted as kind of a long range option in the second half of last year for the Phoenix offense at times. I, I've just talked about it before here too. They, they sort of have a lot of throwers with a green light. And yes. I don't know if that improves their team overall. Similar to like Lawrence scoring more and becoming more of a singular option for the Spiders. I don't know if that leads to more wins for Oakland, right? Like I think of Lawrence as almost being one of those players where you make him as hyper efficient as possible rather than the the usage numbers we'll probably see out of him this year that were indicated <laughs> in the preseason game where they're going to be going Lawrence early and often all the time uh sure, sure. i don't know it feel it feels like a situation though for keenan like at, you know as what however old he is now 22 just like, as a 22 year old Veteran. featured player on an audl team I, like i just think his potential is is through the roof right now and we've yet to see the best from him oh absolutely he was a singular star alongside leandro marks in that preseason warm-up a couple weeks ago right Right. Uh, and I mentioned Jordan Kerr before. I feel like any of those Salt Lake guys, you know, the the year two AUDL rookies, Jordan Kerr, Garrett Martin, Joe Merrill, Ben Green, Jacob Miller, I think they all have a lot of potential to be the most improved too, just because they're coming into a situation where there's going to be a lot of unproven talent around them. And I think the potential we saw from all those guys last season, if their roles are expanded in a big way, I, I'm kind of thinking of Garrett Martin specifically, where I think Jordan Kerr is, is probably the most well-rounded of the group. And I think, I just think I, he would have to go further to get the most improved award because he's starting off so high. But I think Garrett Martin kind of hits that sweet spot of, saw we saw a lot of potential from him last year with Seattle. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for his role to be very significant with the Salt Lake team. But again, back to your point about the wins and does this translate to be seen uh right but i think as far as like young prospects that are on the right trajectory uh i feel pretty good about my list oh yeah it's it's the thing of like when you're talking about the salt lake guys i think part of what's going against them is that they had such good rookie years right the idea of improvement seems almost facile where it's it's like well you had like a perfect D line rookie year, Garrett Martin. Like, how do you, how do you improve <laughs> yeah. off of that? I guess it remains to be seen. And same with Kerr. He sort of was what we know him to be in being like a lefty uh, striker option as like a thrower receiver combo from the mid and deep field space. Uh, I think the one player that I would almost put as like most improved worthy would be. Jacob Miller, who is one that we don't talk about often. I could see him potentially kind of on the rise, getting back with a more familiar system, uh, his old coach, et cetera, et cetera. Like 
he was a player who I kept hearing high things about, but I felt like the spiders were trying to use him in a system that he just wasn't quite acclimated to. And so maybe he has a big year. It, it, and to take nothing away from what you were saying earlier, I totally agree with everything you were saying about Merrill and Kerr and Green and Martin. It's just, like I was saying, that it's like hard to improve on some of the seasons that they had last year. Joe Merrill would yeah, have or 50 goals this year to improve. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, with, with Merrill, like, yeah, I, I guess I wonder if he unlocks a throwing dimension. With Martin, I wonder if they play him on offense more. I think Ben Green sure. could could have been more consistent last year. So, I, yeah, there is definitely room for improvement with all these guys. But, yeah, I think Jacob Miller is is a nice pick as well. Do you want to move on to the final coach of the year on our ballot? Yeah, let's move on to coach of the year. I am taking Daryl Stanley, who was arguably the coach of the year for the first half of last season. I, I don't know. Just the more I think about D.C. and the more I reflect on that TEP game, I just I think they're in for a huge year. I think they're going to look pretty unbeatable for a lot of the season. And of course, they have to deal with New York, but I don't know. I I don't think I'm quite ready to say DC is going to beat New York in a playoff game, but I do think they have like at least 10 win potential for the regular season. I think Daryl and his ability to optimize a roster every single year regardless of the personnel like switching to a very handler driven offense last season after it was the Rowan show the previous two seasons and Rowan didn't go anywhere he was still playing it was just like a totally different role shift I think based on what I saw at TEP it's another totally different shift with their offense where it feels like they're leaning into their hybrids a lot more which makes a lot of sense I think it's tough to make those coaching decisions year to year and like look at your roster and feel like you can change an entire system and and better optimize the play uh, of your offense in particular. And I think Daryl is one of the best coaches in the league at doing that. So I expect the same in 2021 or 2022. And I think they're going to have a huge year. You know, I was fully prepared to choose the exact same coach as you, but I don't like just straight agreeing with you all the time. So yeah, I'm going to pick kind of my 1A option, which is uh, Kevin Stewart with San Diego. I think it's okay. It, it'll be a little bit of a cumulative award for them. Um, yeah, it'll be a Stewart-Kayla Helton joint award. Yeah. yeah, and I just think that the program that they've been building and I think prepping for another 9-10 to 10 win season out of them in the West that I, I, I sort of expect like you – them to handle like I, I see the growlers as yeah. being challenged at times by these expansion teams but ultimately given the the veteran stars that they're adding and McDougal and Mazer uh it just it feels like and bacon um it feels like the growlers are going to get back to the semifinals almost through the easiest path of any true frontline contender entering the season and I think that yeah. Stewart is a large reflection of that, given the amount of sort of additions and subtractions that have now happened over the past three to four seasons, especially for them to kind of come out the other side with such a consistent winning culture and to show that they can match up with any team out of, you know, like a like they keep running into the basically the eventual champion. Uh, they played Dallas <laughs> right. at their absolute zenith in 2019, yeah. and then in 2021 they. They played New York playing New York A ball 
uh, in a semifinals game. It feels like the Growlers, if they could just, you know, get any any sort of a, a, a luck wind their way in some of these semifinal games that they would be in a championship game. And I, I don't know. I just, I kind of expect the Growlers to maybe put that season together this year. It, it feels like, like we were talking about on the Thursday episode, like their windows closing a bit. They are probably one of, if not the most veteran heavy team in the league. Um, but all of those players are still thoroughly in their primes. All of them can absolutely get it done. And I kind of expect that to sort of click this year. Um, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, yeah, that I get what you're saying. Like Stewart historically has had that head coaching job. They are co-head coaches this year, though, Stewart yeah. and Kayla Helton. So it would it'd be the fir- first of its kind joint coach of the year award. I, I wouldn't mind it. Is there any team? Do you feel like who, whichever team wins... The championship, uh, I guess, is there any team where if that happened, the head coach would not win coach of the year? Like, I'm thinking if Atlanta wins a championship, I, I feel like Miranda is guaranteed to win coach of the year in that situation. Maybe Carolina, just because repeating would be, I think. <laughs> right, right. More That's indication fair. of the the player talent level than specifically what Denardis is doing, but that not, to take nothing away from him, he was the coach of the year last year and thoroughly deserved it because he made all <laughs> the correct adjustments in the final stretch of their season. And if they do that again, I I don't know. I guess I guess probably at that point, I would think he was the coach of the year. So right, and it it yeah, would maybe I, depend if we see like a Cinderella run from a team to get to championship weekend or something. Like a uh, Madison, you know. I think is the yeah, team yeah, exactly. We're thinking of yeah, but, I, I right. think if I think if Madison or even a Chicago this year made it to semifinals, given the losses or the or the senses that they shouldn't quote unquote be there, given Minnesota's talent ascension, um, yeah, I think that would be consideration for Dave Woods on Chicago and Tim DeBall and Madison for Coach of the Year, definitely. Or, or how about this? What if Austin or Dallas makes the playoffs over either Atlanta or Carolina? Would you, I, I'm not saying gets championship weekend, but makes the playoffs in the South. Would you consider Najee or Dan Emmons for coach of the year? It's not happening with Dallas. If, if Austin <laughs> makes the playoffs, yeah, I would consider it then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I like it. If they make to championship weekend, then yeah, that would be a lock. Yes. <laughs> With their schedule? Man. With their schedule, as you said. What did we probably... say for them last week? Four four plus wins? If that? Five I, I thought we were at five. I thought it was... Maybe we said five. five. It's just, we were saying six and six would be heroic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Six and six would be great. All right, so do you want to now take us into our three big predictions? We'll each kind of give one and go over it, um, but yeah, you can kick it off. Cool. My first big, bold prediction of the season, I, I'll i maybe fit two in here uh, just because. I think Pablo Giannis is going to become the AUDL all-time assist leader by the end of the season. Right now, he is 40 assists behind goose helton so he needs to have 41 more assists than goose does this season and i think this is the year i you know he, he's coming off a whatever it was 63 assist season um and i think he's he's heading into this season with a lot of 
question marks on offense as far as who is going to be handling with him. What is that distribution going to look like after losing guys like Nico Lake, uh, Keegan North, Pat Triwise's TBD? You know, there's a lot of holes to fill. If you combine North, Shrywise, and Lake, that's 43 assists they reached last year. So in theory, up to 43 assists could be more or less up for grabs this year. Sure, I think some of those go to Paul Arders, Ross Barker. But with Ross, actually, specifically, I think there might be some more of a need to play him on defense. I haven't heard anything from the team. This is just speculation, but he did play primarily D-line in 2019. And as as much as I loved him as a downfield receiver last year, I think there's a chance that they're just going to need him uh, with losses of of Drew Swanson, Kurt Gibson, Peter Graffy. There's going to be holes on defense as well. And so I could see him splitting his time a bit. I think that would just lead for more touches for Pavel. I think Pavel also, like, there were a few games last year, I guess specifically in the Madison-Minnesota doubleheader where they dropped both those games in the middle of the season, where Pavel, you know, was getting pushed downfield a little bit more. I think there was a sense of, you know, I, I have these other throwers on my line very capable of handling the backfield, Pat Trawes, Keegan North, etc. And it's not so important for me to be back there. I think they kind of learned the hard way that Pavel sort of needs to be back in the backfield at all times. And after that, that last Minnesota game, he threw, I think, five plus assists in every game to close out the season. So I think he's going to hit, you know, upwards of 70, 80 assists this season. I think Goose isn't really (laughs) slowing down, so it's going to be tough. But, you know, I, I think 80 assists is within the realm of possibility. And that would mean Goose would have to have fewer than 39 to uh to lose that top spot to Pavel but I'm also looking forward to potentially a a back and forthness between Pavel and Goose through the upcoming seasons as well yeah we'll see if uh Goose will be protecting his statistical achievement or if Pavel is kind (laughs) of overtaken you know, as yeah. I as I said, Giannis might be a, an MVP finalist, if not the front runner again this year. I would totally concur if he if he overtakes the the number one all time assist spot while he's you know years away from potentially quitting. Uh, I I think that would be a check mark on the old MVP resume. Yeah, I think. I mean, also Chicago is gonna have to be successful, right? Like Chicago is probably gonna have to get to championship weekend for Pavel to be considered for MVP maybe maybe yeah. if they just get to the playoffs but yeah I kind of expect Chicago to to need that level of success in order for Pavel to get that recognition but regardless I think he's got a great shot of getting to that number one all-time assist leader position yeah I it'll be an interesting race to follow I think it's always a little hard to keep the statistical things in our purview at all times in the regular season is for sure. out so many storylines and everything but it is really interesting to see some of these numbers now and sort of the pursuits of them uh another one to be watching as we've talked about in AUDL weekly and maybe here a couple of times is Ben Yacht's pursuit of the all-time goals uh record obviously Cameron Brock is back mm. now probably going to be adding to that pretty significantly this year but Yacht's ability to just sort of turn out 50 goal seasons every single year now. And like you were saying, (laughs) he's your presumptive MVP. He's eating into that lead a lot every year. Yeah. 
he is and right and he also doesn't seem to be slowing down at all so i mean pavel has seen his assist numbers go down a bit but you know the fact that he still threw 60 plus assists and has also never had fewer than 60 in a season in his whatever four years i I think i think he's going to be right back uh where he was you know prior to the offensive infusion that chicago got last year Moving on to my first big, bold prediction. Uh, I'm going to go with the Portland Nitro leading the league in scoring. Um, I think the West Division is going to have a very hard time playing consistent defense this year. As we saw in their preseason game, they have a, a potential all-AUDL player in Leandro Marks, and he will be joined by two other potential all-AUDL players in Jack Hatchett. And Rafi Hayes, uh, who I just mentioned as a potential MVP finalist uh, a few minutes ago, I just kind of see the Nitro living true to their name and being this big play explosive offense that we saw in their preseason exhibition where they're going to be hucking early and often. Uh, I don't really see too many defenses outside of San Diego really being able to do much against that consistently. And so I kind of see them being like Boston where Maybe they don't win uh, even a majority of their games in year one, but I think that they're going to put up big numbers basically every time Every time they take the field. Uh, I think that they're going to dictate a lot of games too into kind of a shootout style and just uh, a lot of scores and keeping it up tempo. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Portland is going to be a very strong offensive team in year one. I mean, if the preseason game was any indication, I I would agree with you. What was the final score of that one? Was it 20, 25, 25 or something? 26, 26. Uh, maybe 26, yeah. I And of course, yes, preseason game, sure. Maybe it was a little higher scoring than normal, but the West Division is, is going to be a division to put up numbers. And like we've talked about, the difficulty that we expect teams to have traveling in that division, I, I think... Portland playing at home, you know, in that MLS stadium in front of the home crowd, I can see them consistently putting up, you know, mid to high 20s numbers in those games. Eli Friedman and Austin Kelly looked amazing as kind of their backfield distributors right out of the gate. They had a nice balance of uh, taking deep looks kind of interchangeably, but both of them have such reliable huck throws that it was always the right option for their offense. And especially when they had marks as their target so many times downfield. <laughs> right. Just, I don't know. It, that was, that was our first glimpse of them and they came out the gates just swinging. Uh, I just expect yeah. them to kind of power up as they hit their stride in the season. Well, and the fact that they, they can just throw the disc up to Leandro marks and it's probably going to be a good decision. And that combined with the fact that I, haven't even seen Rafi Hayes play yet, and I've heard he's even better at that than Marks. It just seems like they're going to have too many options of guys that can just take over the game and put up points repeatedly. So excited to watch them in action. My second bold prediction, I'll, I'll skip over the Yacht uh, winning his third MVP award because I... I mentioned that already i guess that's kind of bold but it also doesn't even feel that bold at this point it's pretty uh, tell bold. me if this tell me if this feels bold enough first time ever if you were to win three straight mvps <laughs> okay okay no, no, no. I'll, I'll elaborate on it then uh yeah i think like i said before when we were talking about the oscar yacht williams 
combo. To me, Yacht's role is the least replaceable in that offense. And I think it's it's the most likely to not change and not go anywhere. And it doesn't matter that every team knows what New York wants to do. They want to get the disc to Yacht deep, right? Like that's kind of the whole system, regardless of who's throwing that disc. That is typically the finisher for most of their drives. And he, no team has an answer for him. Really, he's been doing what he wants with most defenses he's faced. Every now and then he'll have like a four or five turnover game, but you just kind of have to hope that like he has an off throwing day in order to contain him. Uh, either that or just try to contain the entire New York offense. Sure. That, that doesn't happen in the postseason. Like that's one of the things that's really solidified, I think, in my mind, Yacht being the MVP deservedly the last two years is he has one turnover at championship weekend the past two years combined. Um, he doesn't turn yeah. the disc over. It's nuts. Uh, he just makes the right plays. He scores, you know, eight to 10 times in the biggest games of the year, every year. Uh, he's just phenomenal in his ability to have his most efficient games in the biggest moments. Right. And just for, for our stats people out there, 55 plus goals, 55 plus assists, 14 plus blocks, each of the last three seasons, that's including postseason. Um, pretty pretty video game-esque numbers, I would say. And, and just the sustainability of these numbers and the fact that it's, it's almost inevitable at this point that he's going to get these scoring numbers just because of how dominant he is and continues to be. It, to me, I just don't know who else really challenges that as consistently as an MVP candidate as Ben Yad. Like, yeah, Austin Taylor had a great season. Pavel had a great season. They might be in for more big seasons. We talked Jack Williams already. Uh, Rafi Hayes is an interesting pick. I think it's it's Yacht's ability also defensively to get the disc back. And he had that huge, you know, season-saving block on that hook to Brett Holzmeier in the Atlanta playoff game to, you know, eventually have New York pull out the win and go to championship weekend. That's just, it was, it was MVP level play when it mattered most. And I feel like that was probably the moment where you were like, okay, yes, it needs to be MVP. Yeah. Uh, ben Yacht for the second straight year. Uh, but I don't know throughout the season, it's, he just like kind of quietly puts up these huge numbers. And I feel like at the start of last year, most of us took Johnny Mox to be the first half of the season MVP. He was playing, at an extremely high level. And then you just sort of look back at Ben Yacht. It's like, oh, wait, he's been doing this all season, just doing what Ben Yacht does. Uh, and yeah, so I, I just expect more of the same. I, I think he's going to make history this season as the third straight MVP winner. Well, I'll piggyback on your bold prediction and throw in another chip for New York, who I think will appear in their third straight title game and win their second championship in three years. Uh, I just Ooh. think their depth additions, as well as being able to throw out basically a starting lineup of all AUDL players, it, it's too much. You know, they, they, they did the things this off season that they needed to do. They added the pieces both offensively and defensively that they were kind of needing to add after last season and coming up a little short. 
it it just it feels like it is the empire's reign right now it feels like we're living in the new york era as good as dc is as good as san diego is as good as atlanta and carolina are it just it feels like flyers had a really good year last year but i don't know i feel like by midseason this year it might you might look back and say the empire just kind of had almost an off game in the championship <laughs> Like they're just <laughs> their ability to show yeah. up now for three, four straight years as this team, it it deserves a bit of a nod. And I I don't expect them to take a step back this year. You know, even in that preseason game, they just sort of puffed up, didn't let DC win, and and did what they always do, which is close out a game in overtime. We were we talked before about, you know, regression as far as teams uh, who close out close games and and an ability to win in three or less goal games there's there's like you know season to season data that suggests if you're good one season you're you're going to kind of depreciate over the next season or two um that doesn't happen with new york right like they just they're now going into like two to three plus seasons of always being able to kind of close out the close ones yeah, you're not wrong. I, <laughs> but I do. It does kind of bring me to my third bold prediction. I, I'm just, I'm really high on DC last year. And you talk about the preseason game. I am I too. I think I am too. I know. I think what I think would impress me most is the fact that DC did. They went to overtime with New York, despite you know only bringing whatever it was, 16, 18 guys to the tournament, missing like half their starters. Uh, you know, Johnny Malk's playing D-line. Like, this was not at all the the top DC team that took New York to overtime at TEP. And I I do think the TEP stakes, I'm going to put a little bit more on those than the, the Oakland-Portland preseason game. I think both these teams really wanted to win. I think they wanted to show up, put on a good show, yes, but they want to beat each other. Like, this is a very established won? rivalry who at this won? point. Who won then? New York won. To win. But, who won? <laughs> but you have Jack Williams, Ryan Oscar, Ben Yacht on the same line doing their thing. John Lithio looks incredible. Charles Weinberg slots in. Yet they only win by a single goal and it takes overtime to do it. I just think DC's ceiling is through the roof <laughs> at this point. They, I, I don't know. I, I think until I see them you know consistently win in the playoffs the the lack of playoff track record i don't disagree with your bold prediction about new york getting the championship game probably winning it all uh, i do trust them more in the playoffs but regular season to my my bold prediction that i'm finally getting around to tell me if this is bold enough i think dc is going to go 11 and 1 and i think their only loss is going to come to new york i think they are they are that good of a team. I think it's possible that they also beat New York in the playoffs and go to championship weekend, but that I'm less confident in predicting. I do think DC has a chance to be absolutely dominant in the regular season, though. And a lot of that, yes, is coming from TEP, but also just the offseason additions they've had this year. And I, I trust Daryl with, with everything to make this team what it could be. Um, so... Go DC. I'm, I'm a fan. I don't disagree with anything that you're saying, and I'll totally concur on two points. I think if DC is in any other division, they make championship weekend. I even mean the South. 
Like, I think that DC really? is Ooh. like a top three team overall. Uh, they're fantastic. My worry is that New York is in front of them. That's that's my worry. And I I totally could see them having a 10 or 11 win regular season. Uh, and I yeah. do think that their performance at TEP does confirm what we were considering, which is that they're so deep, they can just sort of reform like Voltron into any configuration that they need to in order to make themselves competitive. And yeah. that's that's really impressive. My worry is that, yes, they've gotten deeper. Does their starting lineup and any iteration of it challenge that like top seven that New York can throw at them? I, I don't quite think so. And I think when you... It challenged them at TEP, though, and that was oh, not at all it, the top think, lineup. Are you listening to yourself? Like, TEP? What did TEP, I say? TEP. TEP. Yeah, it's a preseason like I said, there's... I'm okay, just saying, they like, wanted to win. A, yeah, they did, and, and New York did win. <laughs> and so the thing is, is that at a certain point, depth can have sort of a, a, a depreciating value to it. Like, there's... There's certainly a, a, a component to it that I agree with during the regular season where they're just going to be able to outmatch up you for four quarters and it's going to be hell for pretty much every team in the East, including New York and probably one or two of their matchups. But I think when you get down to the postseason and New York starts doing what they did to Atlanta if they need to in the second half of last year's playoff game where they just go, hey, guess what? It's the Jack Williams and Ben Yacht show accompanied by John Lithiao and Ryan Osgar and whoever else, you know, like they can just kind of do what they need to when it matters most. And like you're saying, DC doesn't yeah. quite have that postseason track record. And for as much as I like everyone that they brought in this off season, I don't know that like any singular one is going to make the difference in a Titan lineup playoff game against this New York team against this. New what York about team. any other team? Hey. Any other team I have a question. I'm agreeing with you. I have a question. Is is MVP Rowan returning for 2022? And if he does, do you change do you change your your line of thinking on all of that? I think Rowan has slightly become a different player since some hamstring injuries and things. I I see him more as a distributor than ever before, you know, like what made him so potent as a striker in 2018 during his MVP season and then during 2019, when he arguably had a better season statistically, uh, was that he was such a good receiver. And we did not see any of that in 2021. And so for him to return to kind of his MVP form, he would have to re-reverse that trajectory. And I think score, you know, 25 plus goals and really assert himself as somebody who can go downfield and make plays, especially in the air. And I, I don't know that we've seen that since... 2019 you know like he's he's amazing as a distributor and I loved his role that we kind of saw showcased in Colombia where he was he was getting to use all of his creative throws in order to unlock better positions for sort of uh the finishing throwers on that team like Zach Norbaum uh and potentially Mm -hmm. Johnny Malks and I think that that's that's a really exciting role for Rowan but I don't I don't know if he's at MVP level anymore I don't know that DC yeah. needs him to be necessarily. I guess that that would kind of contradict my argument a second ago about why Empire might win <laughs> in a straight matchup in the playoffs. But yeah, I I I would love to see a return to form for Rowan. I just we haven't seen it since 2019. You know, he's scored the... five goals last year. How many goals did he? <laughs> Some, something criminally low. He scored uh, the 50, hope 
He scored 50 plus in 2019. And then last year, how many did he score? He scored five. You're right. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> a, a 40, 40 plus goal drop off is something that just needs to, you know, be accounted for. He scored 60 yeah, goals in 2019. The hope I have, though, I, I do think it's going to be kind of this hybrid centric offense. I think it's going to look very different than the Rowan Norbaum's Johnny Malk's driven offense that we saw last year. So, so I don't think it's going to be another. 530 completion season for him uh, I think he's gonna get a lot more efficient with his touches and hopefully get downfield a bit more because I think he still can be effective as at least like an initiating cutter regardless if he's oh, like yeah. you know you know getting into the end zone and skying people downfield I think just his his ability and, and instincts just as a, a cutter uh, I think can still be utilized for sure He's going to be a terrific connector piece. It's just, yeah, it was such a radical shift seeing him. <laughs> I know, I know. He was in 2019 and the all-star captain to almost a, a, a full-time backfield handler role in 2021. And as you're saying, he was still super effective in that role. It's just, it was, it different. was different. It was yeah. different. Yeah. Um, this has nothing to do with the East or DC or the Empire. Uh, my last bold Great. prediction um i'm 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 gonna hedge a little bit because i can't go for the full no. one the full go one for would the be full madison one. makes it to championship weekend and gets <laughs> well okay okay here's i had my full one for dc was gonna be that they go undefeated in the regular season uh so if you want to commit to championship weekend for madison i'll commit to an undefeated dc no i'll i'll commit to i'll commit to madison will make championship weekend if they host at least one playoff game which means they need to get the two-seater <laughs> better right. in the central but uh, fine i think that it will be harder for them to do that in the regular season than it would be to win two games in the postseason if they make it there and are playing that well right you thought this yeah. logic makes sense. Yes. <laughs> like, no, no, no. I, I, I agree. If Madison is who I think they might be and they make it into that playoff environment and they, you know, get the two seed and get the first game at home, but then have to go play either like at Minnesota or at Chicago, I like them in that away playoff game more so than I do to even make the playoffs. Like, right. I'm, it's like I'm that's the bold. The, the bold part is them making the playoffs as yes. the two seed, basically. Yeah, yeah. Or like that's bolder than them winning two playoff games. Because we we heard some news of a division rival saying that they might not expect Madison to win three or four games this year, which might just be some <laughs> you know back channel uh, talking and lipping. But yeah, it happens. You know. It, it, they have one of the highest ceilings and weirdest floors of any team in the league. Like I could see them <laughs> winning a good eight, way to put it. eight games, nine games, maybe I could see them also doing the aforementioned three to four game thing. If Indy, if Indy's offense clicks and they can get some playmaking on defense, they're going to look pretty similar to Madison. I think a lot of nights. Yeah. I, with Madison to me, it just comes down to the offense. Right. And I, and I guess, oh, yeah. If if we do see any regression in a negative sense from their defense, then yeah, that would be a problem. I think at this point, you just you trust their defense is going to be near the top of the league in efficiency. Uh, you know, their defensive 
break percentage, like or defensive conversion percentage last year was better than their offensive conversion percentage. So they were more likely to score a goal when their defense got the disc than when their offense received the disc, which I think was the biggest problem and has been uh, with their offense over the past couple seasons, really since their championship. So yeah, it's just a big, it's a big if on the offense. And the fact that we've heard so much about these new pieces that they're integrating in, in a handful of rookies we don't really know what to expect at this point, but I agree with you. I think the ceiling is there, but the floor uh, is definitely, there. I mean, I, I don't think the floor is three to four wins. I, I would, I'd be surprised if they win fewer than five games. I forget what we said in our div- divisional preview, but they feel like at least a 500 team, I think. What if at least five and better. seven? What if what if when Mac has <laughs> you, is, with the mechanics later in the season and they just have this all world talent who's recovering from surgery and has a complete green light and they become some <laughs> spark plug at home? I'm just the central is so chaotic. <laughs> Detroit, Detroit being better than Madison. I, I'm not of all the bets of all the bets of all the bets we could bet our hair on. That would be a a fun one to do. It's not like, will Detroit finish with a better record than Madison? Not, I'd be happy either way. It's not that Detroit would be quote unquote better. It's it's a single game they might win one off of Madison in a weird travel game scenario. That's yeah, all I'm yeah. saying. They like, could. Yeah, I don't disagree. Given, given Madison's offensive woes over the past couple of seasons, it can be very uh, disadvantageous to go through offensive spurts on the road. And I just think given the general uh, tide raising in the Central Division this year of overall play, that that could be dangerous. But again, like, like you say, we know to expect that their defense is going to be suffocating and defense does win you a lot of games or at least keep you competitive in them. And if Madison can stay close... Right they can put themselves in a lot of advantageous positions. But I don't know. Like, even throughout this episode, I get, like, talked up on Chicago the more I think about it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still hesitant on Chicago. I don't know. Yeah? No big, bold predictions for your hometown? Well, I I predicted Pavel to be the all-time assist leader. As far as the team goes, uh, I don't know. I think I'm like I, I mentioned on ADL Weekly. Evan asked us, uh, or he, I guess this will air today. He will ask us uh, about team, like playoff teams, and, and how many different teams will make the playoffs this year that didn't make it last year. I feel like of the teams that made the playoffs last year, that I feel like have the best chance of missing the playoffs or greatest chance of missing the playoffs this year. Chicago is towards the top of my list because I think all the other teams have just gotten a lot better and I kind of worry about the division too because I think Minnesota's gotten better I assume Madison has gotten better based on talking with Tim I think Indy's gotten better I think Detroit's gotten better uh so you know that's that's my primary worry it's like yes Chicago looked great and they were dominant last season and they pulled out wins when it mattered they had that great comeback late against Minnesota in the playoff game all good things, you know, took Raleigh, Raleigh at the time, uh, currently Carolina to overtime in the semifinals. But I just think the losses are pretty significant. And I just don't, I don't have a great sense of any like one-to-one replacement of those big losses, specifically on defense. You know, the Kurt Gibson, Peter Graffy, Drew Swanson, three-headed monster that they had. 
Like it's it's going to be tough to compete without those three. Thanks for listening. As always, we will be back this Thursday to preview the week one schedule uh, going into the 2022 AUDL regular season. We will be doing podcasts going forward every Tuesday and Thursday as kind of a recap of the weekend weekend that happened, as well as a preview of the upcoming slate of games. Uh, If you ever want to reach out or engage us, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Huck Ruffner. H-U-C-K-R-U-F-F-N-E-R. And Daniel is at It's Daniel Cohen. I-T-S-D-A-N-I-E-L-C-O-H-E-N. We would love to talk to you about Ultimate. We're always nerds about this stuff. And just, again, so much appreciation for you listening to us every week. Uh, And we can't wait to start this Friday with Carolina and Atlanta on AUDL.TV. 